Hello, and welcome to a very special bonus episode of Superboothers. I'm Ismail, and if you haven't heard, I started another podcast. Don't worry, we're still very committed to continuing with Superboothers. My other podcast is called Bound to be Rich, and it's just a place for me to discuss things other than photo booths, like business and entrepreneurship in general, trading and investing, real estate, online marketing, other ways of making money, and pretty much whatever else I'm interested in. The first few episodes are interviews with names that you'd recognize from our industry, with many more to come, like Sam Eitzen, CEO of Snapbar, Nicholas Rhodes of Outsnapped, and of course, Ryan Salinas of Urban Events. I dive into very deep conversations with everybody to try and tease out the lessons they've learned growing their businesses. If that sounds interesting, click the link in the show notes and please check it out. If you've gotten any value out of me and or the show, it would really mean a lot if you'd show your support by subscribing and leaving a review. For now, please enjoy these snippets just to give you a taste of the new show, and I hope to welcome you as a listener there too. Once you made that decision and you and your brother were doing this full time, like you just quit your job those very early days, what were you guys doing to make sure this thing was successful? Because people are in that position now and they don't know, like, uh, I, I refer to this concept called the curse of knowledge, where once you mm-hmm. know something and you make it to a certain level, you forget what it was like in the very beginning. So the people that you yeah. know are thinking about quitting or just quit, what did you guys do? What would you advise them? Yeah. So we did a lot of the important, non-urgent stuff that we'd put off for a really long time. If you're familiar with that kind of quadrant of thinking, I'm forgetting the specific name. The the Eisenhower Matrix. Thank you. Yes, the Eisenhower Matrix. While we were so busy working our full-time jobs, you could imagine, I don't know, website was a low priority. We were too busy doing the actual events on the weekend and in the evenings to worry about our brand or our presence on the internet. Marketing barely happened, right? We would do the minimum amount possible to continue booking events. But when you're not having to book that many events, because again, this was a side gig, marketing didn't seem like a huge issue. So when we went full-time, we really worked on a lot of those soft skills. It, it, you know, Yeah, I guess I would call them soft skills as, it, as to the hard skills maybe that were figuring out how to run a photo booth at an actual event. So we could have a website or we could have a great, great website. We could have a brand or we could have a really good brand that resonated with people. We could have, you know, a dre- uh, just no policies, or we could have a dress code that cemented our logo at the center of it to help people remember the name, the snap bar. And those, again, soft skills is a weird word. I just kind of came up with it for this, but that's kind of how we were thinking about it. So when we had more time and we were not working events, better website, better SEO. And, and when I say better SEO, I know about SEO right now. I had no idea what SEO was back then. And so when I, you know, better SEO meant, first of all, learning about it. What in the world is it? How do I take advantage of it? Should I hire someone to do it? That was usually a no because of the financial financial situation we were in. We didn't have a ton of money. So we would try to figure it out ourselves. Same with website design, graphic design, all that. With SEO, it takes a long time to really see like a huge impact from the effort you put in, right? Yes. And yes. what's unique? What's unique about you guys is that when you guys decided to focus on the business, uh, on, unlike other people, it had to support two people, two salaries, yeah. two yeah. families, right? So, what did you do? What you guys do to get business in that time to make sure I that see. you? Yeah. Okay. Great question. So there was a, a split focus for sure. 
there was a huge focus on the future stuff, right? A huge focus on the things that were going to impact our business down the road. But you're absolutely right. Marketing, SEO, all these things, brand, a website, they don't make a difference overnight, typically. And so the rest of it was a lot of focus on the word of mouth and on taking as many events and sponsoring as many events as we could. We felt that until we knew more about marketing or SEO or how to present ourselves to the world, we just needed to do more events. The more events we did, the more people would be exposed to our brand. And at the time, even before we had a website, the way that you would collect your photos was via an album on a Facebook page. And pretty quickly, that was replaced with a website, I think a gallery of, you know, of some sort, some third-party gallery system online. But they'd go to it to get their photos, and they would then be exposed to our brand. And so the more events we did, the more people would go get their photos, and the more people that would be exposed to this idea that, oh, look, there's a local photo booth company in Seattle that I could use for my event. That's really That was kind of the immediate stuff, because we didn't have a ton of money to spend on marketing. So the cheapest thing to do was to use our time to get to events. And of course, we would take all the pay ones, paid ones we could, but we sponsored a lot of stuff from galas you know, and nonprofits to even some corporate stuff. We discounted it really heavily um, just to get our feet in the door. Is it safe to say, and you know, if you watch shows like Shark Tank, you always hear these impressive stories about how someone takes, you know, $200 and turns it into, you know, millions of dollars in revenue. I think mm-hmm. you guys did that, right? You didn't have to start with any capital uh, from the story that you told earlier. And I think that first check that you got from a stranger's booking, that's really all you had to get this thing to where it is now. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So we've never, it was 350 bucks, I think, for the first check. And I don't think we've ever invested any more of our money and never really had any investors or loans either. So it was 100%. Well, yeah, I mean, it was bootstrapped from the ground up. The wonderful part, of course, is that we had two and a half years to not really worry about making a living on Snap Our Income because we were working full time. So that made all the difference. But yeah, that's quite that's an important fact for people to keep in mind, for sure. And this is probably a vain question, but I feel like people are so curious about it. So I'll just ask, Yeah, what what is it like working with all these mega celebrities? And I think there are a couple names that I know, like Lady Gaga, Aoki, and I'm sure there's plenty more. What's it like working with them? Is there any cool story or anecdote you can share? And how do you, how do you get to work with them? Celebrity is a weird thing. Um, and with the, the group that you listed just now, um, it, you have to remember that there was a time when I was more famous than those people. And that sounds like an asshole thing to say, but I'm not like, I was not like an A-list celebrity. I was just a person in New York City who was an important connector. And these people came to New York City and wanted something. They wanted fame, right? Right. And, and Lady Gaga started her career in, in small clubs in the city, for those who don't know. Yeah. Lady Gaga started her career in a bar that's like two blocks from where I live. Um, and Lady Gaga, there's a whole really interesting story about Lady Gaga, too, that I can get in if we have time. But what it's like working with those people is the ones that are really awesome don't forget that you help them give you their start. And they check in on you from time to time. The other ones do not do that. And it, you know, it's like you'll bump into someone who you spent a million days with, and you'll bump into them in another city, and they cannot place you. I've had a lot of um, friends go from being minor, you know, celebrities here in New York City to being very, very large musician, traveling act, 
And it, it's very interesting to see how fame and celebrity pays a toll on people. And, and a lot of it, it's not really, it's a lot of people think it's ego. And there's definitely part of that. Like in order to be celebrity, you really need to have that thing that's like the willing to step on other people to make sure you are the best at what you do. And to be a celebrity, you're essentially just an entertainment. The time you leave your apartment to the time you come back in, right? You have to smile at everyone on the street. Um, and there are some celebrities who stay out of the limelight, but for the most part, you have to be prepared to present in that way all the time. And it, that's really tiring. You know, as someone who did what I did and was not an international celebrity, it was not a celebrity outside of New York City, but I couldn't walk around the streets in New York City without having to have conversations with people, whether it's bar owners or club owners, or just someone on the street who wants to know what the next cool thing was. It's really tiring to always be turned on. And that was one of the things ultimately that made me want to get away from what I was doing. I didn't want to be out nights a week keeping up the line of business. I didn't want to keep up that smile. You know, I wanted to be able to have a, a grumpy day. How did you get to work with people like that? Well, so it, at first it was that people were coming to New York. Like, for instance, Steve Aoki, um, people have differing opinions on Steve. Steve is one of the hardest working people that I've ever met in my life. And he approached DJing and the nightlife world as a real business person. And he made investments in himself and his career early on based on what he thought he had to do to become a national DJ name, now international, right? One of the biggest names in the game. And one of the things he would do was he would fly himself to different cities. He obviously had the means to do so. But he would fly himself to different cities and say, hey, I see you have a really amazing party. I would like to play your party. You don't have to pay me. I'm going to fly myself there. Um, but your party looks amazing. Like, let's do it. And I would, you know, we would say like, sure, guy from LA, like, what can you send us some music so we can check it out first? You know, and Steve came to New York and like one of the earliest parties he played was my birthday party one year. And we had an amazing time. And, you know, now... I don't, I have no idea how many hundreds of thousands of dollars he gets to play the nightclubs in Vegas, et cetera. But Steve is, he is one of the nicest dudes who always has time for his fans. And you know, it's, it, but I, I think people forget how, how tiring it is. Like a lot, most people, when they travel, they get on an airplane to go to a place they're excited to be. And when you start in that world, like I was touring with musicians and also doing a lot of um, music festival tours. And one year, I think I did 27 music festivals, which puts me out of the, out of my home for essentially half of the year. And the first few weeks are amazing, right? And then you realize that you're getting on a plane, do a thing that you just did the last weekend. And it's just sort of this like rinse and repeat cycle. So at the beginning, it's really exciting. It's like going to sleepaway camp with your best friends. You know, you like get to this festival, you bump into Steve or another person, you have some beers, you hang out, you talk about the week. And then by the end of the year, it's like, you get off the plane, you try and sleep a little bit, you go to the festival, you stay up working, try and sleep a little bit, you go to the festival, and it's just this like kind of vicious cycle. So what I always joke about is when people have these like daydreams and fantasies, no one ever tells you about the nightmare parts of them that you're not supposed to wish wish in. So it's like, if you ever want to wish for these things, it's like, I would like to be a famous musician who has, you know, 36 hours in the day, so I'm always well slept. <laughs> it's like, those are the things, you know, or like, constantly being you know running from the gig to the airport it's it's mm. not a very it's not as cool a lifestyle amazing 
Do you find yourself grateful for the struggles that you had? Like the one that you mentioned as an example of getting the business so big that you just couldn't deal with it anymore. Are you grateful for that stuff or do you, do you wish you would have avoided it? No. Um, and this goes back to the conversation that I had with my friend yesterday. I wouldn't change anything for the world. There have been times where I have been, we were doing linens and, you know, there's a huge pile of linens at the end of the night, alcohol soaked. And, you know, you're so tired. You just sit down on there because it's a soft surface and you pass out. I mean, I, I, I have had a lot of struggle. I have put in the time I've put in the effort. I have paid my dues. You know, again, I don't, that's why no one can tell me, you know, try me. I mean, everything that has happened or could potentially go wrong has gone wrong. I mean, there are times where I, we did an event uh, for, it was a bridal show and it was a really high-end bridal show. I spent all my money. I spent three grand on that thing. I had about 150 bucks left in my bank account that night. We took everyone to a restaurant and the bill came out to, I don't know, 125. So I was able to do that and cover tip to where I woke up on Monday with $3 in my account. I mean, I, I have had amazing highs. I've had amazing lows. Um, I don't think I would change that for anything. I mean, I think that whenever someone has, you know, a struggle, yeah, I've been there. I've done that. And then some. I've, you know, grabbed a filet from the kitchen and eaten it with my bare hands. I've done it. I've been there. (laughs) I don't mean to laugh because I know we've talked about this so many times uh, in private where I, I I find that the people that make it all have stories like that where they struggle. And maybe that's why, like, I've been with you in high stress situations. I've seen how you operate. You're so calm. Yeah. And maybe it's because you've been through worse. I have. You just said, I've, I ate food with my bare hands. Like I had $3 in my bank account. Do you think this is going to worry me? Like, we'll just figure it out. Yeah. Um, so going through those tough times may help people uh, when, when those types of situations come up, not panic. No, I think it's silly to panic. I think that if you, uh, you everything is figure outable, everything. Mm-hmm. And usually you should be able to figure it out in 20 minutes. There is no problem so big that you can't figure it out in that amount of time. And just to paint the picture, I I don't think I've ever seen you panic. Like the building could literally be crumbling around you on fire. And Ryan would be there saying, oh yeah, it's no big deal. We'll figure it out. We'll we'll do the, we'll do the wedding in the backyard. I got the tent ready. (laughs) Let's just go. (laughs) And I'm not exaggerating. I think, I think that's the personality that you have in those high stress. You know, and I don't, I don't know why that is. I'm sure I have a deer in headlights look. I mean, this, I think in fact, I think, I think in February, we were doing a 360 booth and the, the it wasn't working. You know, we were all set up. We were running tests. This thing was not working. The planner comes over to me and she's like, okay, we should be ready to go in 15 minutes. And I was like, absolutely. This thing not working. And I sent someone out to Best Buy to go get another camera, spent 400 bucks, reinstalled it. That's not working. Finally, we ended up figuring out that it was a cord that had gone bad between, I guess, the battery and the camera. I don't know what was going on. Fix that. We're good to go. 
30 seconds to spare. No joke. You know, I think that it's not going to be the end of the world. Things go wrong. You know, it's just your job to kind of mitigate that, you know, as much as possible. We talked earlier about, um, you mentioned the high standards you have yeah. like in your work and the high expectations you have of yourself. Uh, I, I feel like I've noticed, and I don't think I've ever asked you about this, but I've noticed that you also have high standards and who you surround yourself with, right? Why do you do that? Is there is it like a rational thing or is it just an instinctual thing? But you seem to have a high bar for the people that you allow in your circle. I think as I get older, my circle gets smaller. Like right now, if something good were to happen, I would call four people versus 10 years ago, I'd probably call 12. Uh, and I don't know if that's just like a self-protection thing. Um, I have become very protective of who I spend my time with probably more seriously, I think in the last year and a half. Um, I don't particularly care for superfluous relationships anymore. I think that if I'm going to spend time with you, it means that I, I want to spend time with you. There is a reason for me to spend time with you. Um, I, I, I don't know why that is. I think it's just because, you know, I don't know if it's, um, if it's a Vegas thing, because in Vegas, there's a lot of superfluous people and a lot of superfluous people just blowing air. And I think that has a lot to do with in events industry. It's the same way. Um, there was one instance a while back. Uh, actually, this is kind of a juicy story. Uh, there was an instance where this new planner on the block comes out and does this bridal show. And he goes, Oh, we booked 15 events. And I'm like, and he's saying this at a group of people. I'm like, no, you didn't <laughs> like no one books specifically at this stuff. You might get one or two, you know, back in the day, you know, someone gives you cash, like, Hey, let's secure date, whatever. But you can't tell me that you booked that many right now. Well, fast forward a few years, uh, he randomly got this government contract. Oh, this is so horrible. Um, <laughs> he got this government contract. I have no idea how and failed miserably to where it's on like the front page of the newspaper. I mean, it's just there. People will tell you whatever it is they think you want to hear. I, I again, I've been there, done that. And truthfully, I don't, I don't care, but I think that you just have to recognize there are always going to be people out there that will, and this is just, this goes with everything. This goes, this is a horrible time to, to be alive right now, specifically because of social media, social media paints this big, beautiful, pretty picture. I've done this, this day. I've done it, but you have to, you, but you have to recognize that that's not reality. You know, no one's going to tell you what it takes to get to that picture. And there you have it. Just a small sample of my new podcast, Bound to be Rich. If you'd like to hear the full conversations in all future episodes, click the link in the show notes and subscribe to the new show. As always, I truly appreciate your support and I'll continue to do my best to serve you. Until next time.